All right, let's open up to Matthew 12. There's a scripture we find in Isaiah. He prophesied about looking to the Word of God and how good it is and that we should take it in precept by precept, line upon line. And there's just something that's very healthy in doing that. And we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for almost a year now. Um, I promise we'll go a little quicker through the second half. There's a lot of foundational things in here. Um, and I want to encourage you guys, because as I have opportunity to uh, keep studying, it's good to look back at what we've already gone through, what has been laid down for us, what is setting the stage for where we're presently at. And I want to encourage you guys this Christmas season uh, just to take a read through Matthew, maybe the whole thing, but up to where we're here, uh, which we'll be getting into verse or chapter 13 in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be finishing up uh, Matthew 12 together, which if you guys want to look um, <clears throat> down at verse 38, again, we have some of these scribes and these Pharisees saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And how many of you guys know people like that? Well, if God would just give me a sign, if I could just see, then I would believe. That's not always the case. So this morning we're going to be looking at, um, if you have your outlines from your bulletins this morning, we're going to be looking at the resurrection, reformation, and family. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm so glad I'm a part of God's family. Um, but there's three things that we covered in our last portion in, as we considered chapter 12 together. Some of these Pharisees, they want to see this sign from Jesus uh, to prove his authority. What he's been saying is true, that he is really the Messiah, the son of David. And the only sign that they're going to receive uh, is Jesus' resurrection, which he refers to metaphorically. So Jesus describes the evil, adulterous generation. They're the ones. Think about that again. This evil and adulterous generation, they're the ones that will seek for this sign. But in terms of disembodied spirit who returns to its host with greater severity. That's what he's speaking to, this evil generation. No, you guys need to understand what you're actually doing, who you actually are. So Jesus is going to direct opposition to this religious establishment of his day. Okay, What happens to people today that choose to do the same thing? Are they persecuted? How dare you, right? Um well, that's what's been happening to Jesus. So in his day, he drew the attention, uh, their attention here and concern for his family, we're going to see. And Jesus will then defend his extended family as those who do the will of his father. So let's take a read here. He's going to speak to the resurrection here in verses 38 and on. Again, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, Answered, saying, Teacher, we want a sign to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seek after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of, the, of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh. They will rise up in the judgment which this generation um, and condemn it because they repented in the preaching of Jonah, at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. And then the Queen of Sheba of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So you guys see Jesus is calling some more witnesses here? In verse 38, we seek a sign. We want, we want a sign from you. <laughs> what a lamb! What's Jesus been doing up to this point? They have seen him doing these miracles. We had done so many, so many right in front of your noses, and you're still asking for a sign. And that's what an evil and generation uh, evil and adulterous generation want. They want a sign, okay? And God can give sign. I don't know if you guys ever had a, a conversation with somebody in regards to the gospel, maybe an ongoing conversation with somebody, and you continue to lay out the truths. This is how we know we can trust the Bible. 
that it is legit, that it is supernatural, that Jesus is truly the fulfillment of all those messianic prophecies, that he would come to save the world, that there is no other way to be saved, to get to heaven, to have eternal life. But through you can lay it all out and they can see it and agree, yeah, I can't argue with that. That's fact. But yet they want more. There's just more and more and more excuses. Why? It doesn't matter how much they see, okay? They still love their sin. They're not willing to humble themselves before their creator. That's the bottom, bottom line. It's a lot of pride. So to ask for a sign was evidence of unbelief, okay? If God would just show me a sign, well, that's just proving your unbelief. That's all it is. And let us be quick to believe, okay? Not a blind faith, but God is faithful. He is true. This is the one and living true God, This is his word. We should obey. We should surrender, submit, humble ourselves before him. So he speaks then to the resurrection. This will be the one sign that will be shown. I will rise from the dead. This will be the one sign. And you guys know the resurrection is not even disputed. Okay? It is a fact. Okay? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people saw the risen Lord. They saw him crucified, buried, dead. And then he's alive. Okay, can't deny that. Even the secular world, historians that look into it, there is so much testimony and proof out there, you can't even argue it. Anyways, the resurrection, it really is the hinge on which our faith swings. Without the resurrection, why would we even come to church? What would be the point? Great, moral teacher told us to be good, but there was no power there, okay? But he did, he overcame our sin overcame death, overcame hell. He rose from the dead. And he said, all this stuff I've been doing, all these signs, all my teachings, this preaching, the good news of the kingdom, you're going to know it's all true because I'm going to rise from the dead. If he didn't, then it's nothing. So if love put Jesus on the cross on Friday and faith being the evidence of the things not seen kept him in the grave on Saturday, then hope is the full assurance of a resurrected Jesus on Sunday, okay? The Lord's Day. It's part of the reason why the church gathers together on Sundays. We celebrate the resurrection. Now let's go back a little bit. I want to consider with you guys some of the similarities that we see with the prophet Jonah. How many of you guys have gone through the book of Jonah? Okay, our youth did this summer, okay? Jonah is a phenomenal phenomenal book a lot of people well it's just about this guy getting swallowed by this big whale no there is so much there okay a lot of people said that isn't even a true story okay this great city of Nineveh that's spoken about that's not even real we would know about it historically if that city was real and then maybe we would believe this story of them repenting well guess what they found in 1948 the great city of Nineveh that they said didn't exist They've undug it. It's massive. It's huge, just like the Bible says. Go figure. Anyways, um, he says, like Jonah, okay, they cast our Lord overboard, okay? The sacrifice of Jonah calmed the sea for the mariners. Our Lord's death, hasn't that brought us peace for all? Is he the greater than Jonah? Absolutely, okay? Both three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah's ministry was certified by his restoration from the sea. So our Lord's ministry was attested by the rising from the dead. As Jonah came back from his burial out at sea, okay, commanded the attention of Nineveh, so does our risen Savior. He demands and deserves the obedience of faith to all to whom the message comes, okay? So Jonah rescues or Jonah's rescue from that great fish was a sign that the prophet, that he was a prophet, and that it was a message from God. Similarly, the ultimate validating of Jesus would be his triumph over death. So we read in verse 41, the Ninevites repented. They were an evil people, but they heard the word of God and they repented. While the Jews, what were they doing with Jesus? They were just getting hardened more and more towards the truth of who Jesus was, the word of God. So these heathens perceived what Israel did not understand. 
Are you guys kind of getting the big picture of what Jesus is trying to get to with these scribes and Pharisees? You religious dudes need to open your eyes. Okay, these heathen Ninevites got it. And you're religious and you're completely blind. You're completely hard. And then he says, rise up. Okay, so these men of Nineveh were not dead in Jesus's mind. They, he knew them and he promised their part in the resurrection of the just as swift witness against those who heard Jesus himself and refused his testimony. So greater than Jonah, why or how? How is Jesus greater than Jonah? Well, in his person, Jonah was just a mere man, right? Just a man. In his obedience, Jesus actually died. Jesus rose with his own power. Jonah only ministered to one city. Jesus gave his life for what, guys? The whole world, right? Everyone. So Jesus was greater in his love. For Jonah did not love the people in Nineveh, did he? No, he wanted them all to die. Okay, those heathen pagans, you know, they're an evil people. They should just be cursed. How dare you want to, you know, allow them a chance to repent God. Um, so Jesus' message was one of, or Jonah's was this message of wrath where we have Jesus coming, preaching this gospel of grace. Now, the resurrection is the sign. I hope you guys get that in the Bible. Okay, it is the sign. That is it. Yet, he supplements it with one more and we see a second witness here, a second sign in verse 42. Wisdom. Catch it. The queen of uh, the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, there is a greater than Solomon here. So Sheba, that southwest um, <clears throat> Arabia. Okay, How many of you guys have heard of Yemen? Okay, that would be Yemen probably. So the queen traveled over a thousand miles. Think about it. Okay, they didn't have airplanes back then, no railroad, no cars, right? She went a long ways to seek Solomon's wisdom. She heard of it and she went and she wanted to hear for herself. So the Jews didn't have to travel at all. Think about it. Didn't God come to them? Yeah. Oh, little city of Bethlehem, right? Where's Bethlehem? Right there in Israel, he came to his own. So the Jews, they didn't have to travel. He came so they could hear. Therefore, great will be their judgment when she will be raised as a witness against them. So how is Jesus then greater than Solomon? Wasn't Solomon the wisest man who ever lived? Absolutely. Where did he get that wisdom? From God. Jesus is God, of course. He's going to be greater. So how is this? Well, Solomon had wisdom from God, but Jesus is the wisdom of God, we're told in Scripture. He is. Also, Solomon was a great king, but Jesus is the king of kings, right? So Jesus was greater in his wisdom, wealth, and his works. So I want you guys to imagine Solomon sitting there in his... Um, what do they call them? They weren't castles. Palace. His palace, right? At his table. Think about Solomon's table for a second. I'm going to read you guys. You can jot down Second Chronicles 9, 3, and 4. And it says this. Imagine it with me here. When the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Okay? In other words, she was breathless, right? It's <gasps> amazing, right? Now imagine sitting at Jesus' table with me, guys. Think about that for a second. Think Solomon's was cool. Think about how much greater it's going to be there. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. I can't wait 
to be hanging there, okay? I've had to miss out on bread for about the last five years. I can't wait because I know in heaven there's going to be something even better than all that chewy white bread you guys get to have all the time. It's going to be awesome. And the main reason, just because Jesus is going to be there and we actually get to hear him, we're going to be hanging out. Oh, he's speaking. Hear the wisdom of Jesus. It's going to be so cool. Don't you guys have so many questions? I can't wait to get to heaven. I have so many questions I want to ask him. And when do those questions come out? It's normally around the table. That's one thing I love about having little kids right now. Some of the conversations we have around the dinner table are just the most ridiculous things. But also at the same time, there's some of the coolest conversation that happens when we sit around the dinner table. Man, the questions they have, the things we get to consider, the answers that there are that just blown their little minds. And that's exactly all that we have, guys. Little finite minds, and we finally get to sit with Jesus one day at his table and be like, hey, I got some questions. <laughs> and he's just going to blow our minds. So think about it, okay? His mansion, sharing in those blessings, there's no comparison. Nothing even comes close. So think about it. The citizens of Nineveh will witness against the rulers of Israel for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. The queen of Sheba will also witness against them. She traveled a long distance to hear Solomon's wisdom, yet the religious rulers rejected the wisdom of Christ, which was in their very midst. Okay? They repented. She heard. So the greater the opportunity, the greater the judgment. You guys ever read that verse in Peter where he says it had been better if they had never known? That's one of those verses that haunts me. Would have been better if they'd ever, never known. And there are those people that have heard their whole life. Maybe they've been blessed to grow up in a believing home and they reject. That's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. But we live in a Christian nation. I think about how many billboards we have. You know, I had a meeting last week. I go, I started to tear up. There's an Oval Office Gentleman's Club billboard as I'm going up to De Pere. I'm just like, crud, you know? bummer and right across the street as i'm going past there's a big sign that says jesus is lord or something like which or does it just say jesus what does it say some of you guys work at jesus christ and has a little kosher sign down in the corner i love that anyways joe pointed that i noticed that <laughs> he pointed it out to me i'm like i gotta check that out sure enough i'm like that's cool but anyways i think about just the reality here we have the world and then right across the street here's the truth how many people are actually going to seek the truth Okay, we hear it all the time. Jesus is the reason for the season. I mean, how many people are hearing about Jesus Christ? I think about these random acts of kindness that were done the last few days for little Olivia Staffa, who's home with Jesus right now. A lot of people have gotten loved on and they check out Facebook. What's this about? You guys know Jesus is all over that Facebook page? You know, people are hearing, but also there's going to be more judgment with it. That's a bummer on the flip side, but there's a great hope. And that's the, that's the reality of the good news, guys. People need to hear. So let's move on. Let's talk about reformation or self-reformation here. Look at verse 43. When an unclean spirit, who are we talking about when we're talking about unclean spirits? Demons, right? So if a demons go out of a man... He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Okay, Demons like to have a host. Then, verse 44, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first state so shall it be also be with the wicked or this wicked generation. So this man's life was changed for the better, but his life was still empty. That was the problem. He didn't fill himself with God. That's what we've been created for. We all, we're a vessel. We're all vessels like the Bible talk about. But what are we filled with? Okay. Some people are actually filled with demonic spirits, unclean spirits. Okay. I read this passage, and this is the first one that comes to mind with the first demon-possessed person I ever encountered. Okay, 
young teenage girl. Cast a demon out of her. Six months later, guess what? We're casting multiple demons out of her. What's going on? Well, this passage here in Matthew 12 is what going on. Unless a person repents and accepts Jesus Christ, God's not kidding about this. If you're already open to inviting that type of demonic influence into your life, demonic being, you're going to be prone. It doesn't matter how much you try to clean up, make yourself right, do good, you're still going to be open. So the Pharisees, these were proud dudes of their very clean houses. Okay? Look at me. Look at our robes. You know? Look at our long... Anyways, they had all their get-up... Um, but their hearts were empty. That's the point Jesus is getting at. He's always getting to the heart issue. Okay, have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? Okay, when I deal with people who are demon possessed now, that's one of my questions. I'm like, I don't want to talk to the demon. Okay, <laughs> I want to talk to the person. Are you ready to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ? Okay, can help cast out a demon, but unless you're willing to repent and give your life to Christ, invite him into your heart. We ain't doing nothing because the Bible says you're going to be worse off. I've seen it firsthand. This stuff, he's not joking around. And this stuff is going on today. Well, pastor, you're joking. What are you talking about? That stuff isn't real. Well, I encourage you, start serving the Lord, start proclaiming the gospel, and you will see these things. Okay? It is a reality. I first saw, began to see people that were demon-possessed and dealing with that stuff in a season of life, not when I started believing, it's when I started preaching the gospel on a regular basis. That's when that whole spiritual realm opened up. It's like, whoa, this stuff is real. I just heard about it. I thought it was just back then in Jesus' day. I didn't think those demons were still around doing those. No, they're very much alive today. But you guys know that Satan's really good. He's the father of lies. If the supernatural is happening on a regular basis, do you think people would be open more, spiritually speaking? Probably. They'd probably be looking for hope. But we're in a really <laughs> bad place. We're very religious, and we're very God-rejecting to the point we're actually teaching our kids there's no God. So, of course, there will be no supernatural. Satan's very good at what he's doing, guys, and we should not be deceived when it comes to his schemes. We should know how he works and what's going on. Anyways, we can talk about that all morning. We're not going to because we're going to stick here. We're going to deal with these Pharisees, their empty hearts, so I think what we need to do is ask ourselves, let's bring some application, let's get real. Are you proud of how clean your house is? Are you proud of that? Is that a good place to be in? See, maybe you've started off or started off doing the right things, okay? I, I know I was wrong, <laughs> not in a good place. I'm going to start paying my taxes maybe. Maybe I'll stop kicking our dog. Maybe, you know, I, I stopped cutting people off on the road that cut me off. I, I won't do that anymore because that's not being a good person. Or maybe I cut, you cut out most of those, those cuss words. Only once in a while now something slips. I've really cleaned up my act, my vocabulary. Well, I'd like to say to you this morning then, congratulations. You're going to be the best person in hell. Honestly, what does all that stuff do? And how many people? I'm a good person. If there is a God, then I'm going to be okay and get to heaven. How many people have told you that? I have a lot of people tell me that. That's the lie they've bought into. As long as I'm good, I do good stuff. I'm better than most people. I'm good. Well, congratulations. You're going to be a good person burning in hell for all time unless you humble yourself. Guys, being clean in our own righteousness, our righteousness, God says, is as filthy rags to him. Okay, Filthy rags. No matter how clean we think we've cleaned ourselves up, it's still filthy before a holy and perfect God. You see, it's not enough to clean a house. We must invite the right tendant in. He says here, our, <clears throat> speaking of the demon, I will return. Well, see, the demon doesn't mind if you leave, uh, if he's leaving a madly immoral to become decent and orderly. Why? Well, it's because this self-cleanup job comes self-pride. Look at what I've done. I'm okay with you doing that. Do the religious thing, okay? A good moral person can just as easy be a slave. 
Okay. <laughs> That's all it is. Hey, be a slave. So the crafty spirit takes the key of the house with him for means of return and finds it what? Empty, swept, and put in order. So have you emptied yourself of a certain relationship that was pulling you down? Have you swept yourself clean in a certain uglier sin? Have you put order in a certain set of new moralities that you are going to uphold, do, I want you guys to listen because I think Augustine said this very well. Good works, as they are called in sinners, are nothing but splendid sin. Can I say that again? Good works, as they are called in sinners, are nothing but splendid sin. Still sin. So you guys see the problem here? The problem was he was found empty. No one else had taken possession of it. Look at verse 45. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So one plus seven others. Talk about eight is enough. Right? <laughs> like, wow. So mere religion or reformation will not save do you guys get that? It's not going to save you. There must be regeneration. There must be receiving Jesus Christ into your heart. You need to do that. You need to ask him. You need to repent of your sin. You need to ask him to save you, to come into your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. That takes humility. It takes surrender. It takes faith, trusting the gospel, guys. But it's not a work. It's a faith thing. He's done the work. <laughs> we have to receive that gift of eternal life. So, and when you do that, okay, I love Ephesians 1.13, okay, when the word of God is preached, okay, and when a person receives that, they repent, and they believe on it, the Holy Spirit comes and seals them. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Aren't you guys glad of the Holy Spirit? right? It's the same thing. People have demonic influences. Some are even possessed to a point, I can't help myself. And that's the same thing. When you're born again of the Spirit, you find yourself, I can't help myself but love people now. I used to hate them. Now I'm in tears because they're hurting. They're broken. They're lost. You know, what happened? You find yourself loving on them, praying for them, serving them. What's going on? It's the Holy Spirit at work in you. And that's what happens. You invite God into your life, things change. It's not like, oh, I'm going to clean everything up and become a better person, and then I'm right with God. No, he comes up and he cleans us up. He changes us. And it's a process. Some of us are taking longer than others. There's things I've struggled with for decades, honestly. It's just like, what's going on, God? You know, why am I so critical still? You know, why can't you just take that away? You guys ever struggle with things? It's just like, what's going on? But you look, isn't God faithful to keep spanking you? Keep challenging you? Keep growing? Okay? If you don't know Jesus, man, sin's just easy. You know? It's just like, hey, I can keep on sinning. It's fun. It's good. You know? We'll reap the consequences. Of, well, that sucks. Why is this happening to me? Anyways, read the Bible. Um, mere religion, reformation, it doesn't say. Need to be born again, right? Rebirth inwardly, not reform outwardly. Same subject, right? Wicked generation, verse 39. This adulterous generation, right? So, let's move on. Jesus is going to now clarify for you and I, family. Look at verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside. Awesome! Wait, he's got brothers? I thought Mary was a virgin. Anyways, read the Bible. Uh, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Verse 48, But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I love Freedom Fellowship. I feel like we're family. Okay? I hope you guys feel the same thing. We're just brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, he had an earthly family. Okay? Jesus humbled himself, became like you and I. Right, He was born um, of a virgin at the time, Mary. Okay, and Joseph was stepdad. Um, but we consider his earthly family here, they intruded upon his holy service. Why did they show up here? What are they doing? Okay, Jesus was about what? His father's business. And they didn't like it. Okay. While he was still talking to the multitudes, we're told he shows up. So Jesus is not negating the importance of natural family. I don't want you guys to think that at all. Okay, he's not doing that. But he is emphasizing the greater importance of spiritual family. That's why I encourage you guys, you need to be in fellowship. It's good for us to gather together on Sundays. It's good to partake of small groups. When sisters get together, get together with your sisters. That is needed time. It's healthy. Same thing with us brothers whether it's a Bible study or prayer or whatever, we get together, okay? My younger brothers and sisters, there's something unique about being together with your peers, younger people. You get to pray together. You get to be grown together in faith. That's why it's so important, even with our kids' church. But it's so important that we're in fellowship because family needs to get together. So we see these guys here, okay, coming, his brother or his mom and brothers, um, the commitment to Jesus and his cause is higher loyalty than loyalty to family. So we never, never interfere with supreme matters. He must be about his father's business, right? You guys think that you and I need to be about our father's business too before anything else? Yeah, but the sad truth is a lot of Christians, that's secondary or maybe third or fourth or fifth down the list. You know, because, hey, isn't it about focusing on my family right here and now? Not really, guys. The Bible speaks to it. There's a lot that the Bible speaks to, to our natural family, in being a husband or being a wife or being a dad or a mother, being a child. There are those things, and we should just do them because God's told us to do them. But there is things that God's calling us to. And leading our family well is one of them. But let me tell you what, we got a big God and I think there's a lot more that he wants us to be about than just focusing on our family. What is he focused on, guys? Not just our family. There's a whole world that he loves, that he died for. Okay, Are we about our father's business or are we too worried about us? Even this time of year, I think it's good to look, God, what are you up to? What is this season all about? Anyways, um, yep. I want to read Mark's account. Let's turn to Mark chapter 3 real quick. And then we'll wrap up in the Gospel of John. I even have 15 minutes. See that, Sonny? It's going to happen, babe. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. This is, I want to take a look here because this is the same context. And this is something that's fun. Okay, If you guys have one of those uh, Bibles, or you can find it online, they're all over, how you can go and see how um, the Gospels work together, how they're harmonious, and you actually see where some of the Gospels will pull in insights that the other Gospels don't even talk about. You know, but it's fun to go chronologically through. And here in chapter 3 of Mark, this is the same account. Let's look at verse 20. It says, On or one time Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. So this is the exact same situation that we're reading about in Matthew chapter 12. Soon he and his disciples couldn't find time to eat. Okay? You guys ever so busy about the Lord's work? Man, we haven't even been eating. You know, just get caught up in what God has you to do. Verse 21 says, And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of my mind, they said. What? Think about this, guys. His own family. Have any, any of your family said that about you? You're out of your mind following Jesus? 
Really? Fellowship's a priority? Loving up? What are you do? You quit your job to do what? You're not. Anyways, his mother and brothers did love him, but they thought he was a little bit of a fanatical. Jesus, you need to calm down. You know, this whole Messiah complex you got going on. <laughs> not good, buddy. Okay? Everything, if you would just calm down, everything would be fine. Okay? But you're getting a little crazy on us. Okay? You're fixated with this faith thing. You're over-enthusiastic about the things of God in heaven. Um, I think if, you, if Jesus was diagnosed today, he'd probably be a you know, uh, um, obsessive compulsive type, right? Wasn't he on a mission? Wasn't Jesus just going for it? Single-minded? This is why I'm here. This is what life is all about. This is it. You see, I believe this family intervention, can we call it a family intervention? I think that's what we would call it, is what they were really trying, they wanted the best for him. Okay? He's throwing away his security, his safety. If he keeps this up, they're going to hurt our brother, my son. We must take charge of him. And his well-meaning, it was really a mistaken action. They thought this religious fervor was going to ruin his, his health. So Jesus, uh, don't you know that you could lose your life? Brother, if you keep doing this, Okay? It's not going to be good for you or your disciples, these people that are believing what you're saying. So first, he gave up a decent career as a, you know, in the carpenter union, let's say. Then look at the posse that he's running with here. We hear he sometimes stays up all night, no sleep, and he seems to be given to extremes. It's okay to be devout, but to be fanatical. You need to stop that. I want us to add a little PS as we wrap up this morning in John's gospel. Let's turn to the seventh chapter together. Here, John tells us that his brothers were still not believing. Okay, this is a time later now in his ministry. We'll pick it up uh, right at the beginning of chapter 7 in John. It says, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, and he did not walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, oh, did you guys hear that in 2019? We're going to go through the festivals together as a fellowship. Most of them don't start till the fall, but Jesus is all over. We're going to dive into this. It's going to be so much fun. Don't miss it. Anyways, stop getting sidetracked, guys. Back to verse 2. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, and your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is all, always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast, and I am not going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to him, he remained in Galilee. So the reality is, guys, there is an eternal family. You guys know that one of my pet peeves is when people say, we're all just children of God. No, we're not. You're either a child of God's or you're a child of Satan's. That's what the Bible says in the Bible's truth. We're not all God's kids. It's just the way it is. So if you say that, stop saying it. It's not true. Does God love everyone? Yes. He loves the whole world. He loves unbelievers, okay? Um, but we're not all a part of his family. There is this 
eternal family. You guys know as all believers in Jesus, we're part of a royal family. Think about that. That's pretty cool to think about. Also to note the invitation again is for whoever, right? Whoever. I'm a whoever. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. They're brought into his family. So we say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Well, the Lord did, right? He chose his family. He chose me. Okay. Maybe you're not chosen, but maybe God wants you to be chosen. I think he does because he doesn't want anybody to perish. I don't think he does because he died upon a cross for you. He laid down his life for you that anyone who believes in him would not perish. You can be chosen too. How do you become chosen? You repent. You believe. You turn to him. You trust in him. That's how it happens. So are you a whoever who has received the Lord as attendant into your house? And now as a result, you're doing the will of the Father. See, there's three things Jesus tips us off to. Back in Matthew, verses 41, 42, and 50, we have the Ninevites that repented, right? We have the queen who heard the wisdom and the eternal family that does the will of God. Pretty simple. Repent, hear, do. Repent, hear, do. That's what we got to do. Is Christianity hard? No. It's really not. I think we complicate it. I think we make it harder on ourselves. But if we would just repent, we're told in Scripture that times of refreshing come when we repent, right? Acts 3.19. I think we go through a lot of stuff that we don't need to go through just because we don't repent. Oh yeah, the circumstance might stay the same. You might keep going through that trial for a while. But let me tell you what, God is right there. And when we repent, when we turn to him, there's refreshing that comes from being in his presence. And that's not natural. I wish I could tell you guys I've figured it out. I've learned how to be in the presence of the Lord 24-7, even when I sleep. You know? But it's not natural to our flesh. We want to do our thing. We have our priorities. Pride gets in there. Our flesh is gross, guys. But when we repent, turn to him, that refreshing comes from being in his presence. So repent, hear, hearing the word, guys. It is good for us to hear the word. It's good for our minds to be renewed by the hearing of God's word. We need that because our thinking can get really jacked up. I don't know about you guys, but I live in a fallen world, and it's really good at lying to me. (laughs) You need this. Life's really about this. If you would just do this for your church, then these things would happen. Lies, 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 lies. What does God say? Right? Got to hear truth. The truth sets us free. And then be doers of it. Okay? Not hearers only, but do. Let me tell you what. God doesn't ask us to do things to be a buzzkill. He asks us to do things that he's glorified and exalted. And as we do those things, people are going to hear about him. They're going to see him. We're going to be salt and light. And there's nothing more beautiful. Let me tell you what. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It really is. And as we live for him and we love others, guys, it all just works out. But that's not what I want. Do it his way. I guarantee, yeah. I don't guarantee a lot of things, but I guarantee that his word is faithful. That he is true to his promises. I've tasted, I've seen, I know. I can look back. He's been faithful. So family perks. The Lord has provided for you all that you need. He's promised us protection. He's adopted you. He's given us, or he's given you his name. So I want to, let's turn to one more place. Beginning of Acts. I promise this is the last time. I know if you guys are visiting if you come back, I might do this again. It's a preacher thing. We're almost done. We're almost done. But I promise we're almost done. I want to take a look real quick. You guys know the book of Acts starts right after the gospel. So this is after his death upon the cross, the blood being shed for the remission of sins, being buried, and now he's risen from the dead. And then we have the book of Acts. And then right away in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, then the disciples 
They went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and we're told in verse 14, they all continued praying together with some women, including Mary. Who's that? What Mary is this? Oh, it's his mom. Awesome. She's there. And who? Jesus' brother. So after the resurrection, guess what happened, guys? They got saved. Isn't that cool? I think that's so cool. So what a change. The ones who mocked him now are worshiping him. The ones who pitied him are now praying to him. This is awesome. So what if Jesus had disowned them? Let's think this through for a second. What if he had disowned his family? Stop calling me a fanatic. Stop calling me crazy. I'm just done with you guys. I got all this stuff I need to be up to. What if he did that? Or still even worse, what if he suffocated his family to the point where, hey, you guys have to change. You need to jump on the bandwagon. And if you don't, you're just in trouble. Okay? And if you don't repent now, you're going to get an email in the morning reminding you what you need to do. And then I'm going to call you. Don't try to change your phone number because I'm God and I'll know your new one. You know? <laughs> what if he'd done that? But he didn't, right? Instead, he gave them what? Space, time, and grace. Can you guys say that with me? Space, time, and grace. You guys see how important that is? It works. What would Jesus do? That's what he did. He gave space, time, and grace. And because he did, they changed. And how much did they change? Okay. Man, they're disciples now. One brother, we're told in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, became an apostle. The other became missionaries. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. So Jesus wasn't, you know, severing any of his family ties. He didn't do that. Sometimes they will. I just want nothing to do with you. Because all you want to do is talk about Jesus and what's going on in your life because everything going on now in your life is about Jesus. Yeah, that's because I'm saved. You know? Anyways. On the cross, he was very concerned about his mom. You guys remember that? And then later, his half-brother James would be a leader in the Jerusalem church. His other half-brother Jude ended up writing a book right? Um, so he meant there's a deeper kinship than flesh, blood. There's a, there's a spiritual kinship which is characterized by obedience to the Father. So the course, uh, of course, this obedience, guys, doesn't originate relationship with God. Faith does that, but obedience is really a sign of it. It's a sign of it. Jesus describes new family, okay, which is far superior than a human family, because why? It lasts forever, it's eternal. Some of you guys ask, Pastor, why do you call everybody brother and sister? Why do you do that? Is it because you're bad with names? Well, yeah, sometimes. But <laughs> the truth is, you're, if you're in Christ, you're my brother or sister. We are brothers and sisters for eternity. Let's get used to it here and now because that's the reality of who we are is being a part of God's eternal family. And it's stronger. It's more satisfying um, the highest relationship of, this, of life are spiritual. It's not physical. So you've witnessed this. Maybe you guys have met somebody. You find out that's born again. And you can talk about Christ. You can talk about ministry. You can talk about his life. You can be sharing God's stories, what's do, what he's doing in your life. Just that sense of how wonderful it is to be a part of his family is just good. So do you have more in common with your spiritual family than with your earthly family? And will you humble yourself and come and sit at Jesus' feet? See, isn't that the whole, whole lot better than the try harder, do more, stop that, you don't measure up, do it better? It's a whole lot better to hear what? Hey, believe in Jesus Christ. Just sit at his feet. Learn from him. He loves you. Take him for who he is. Accept his ministry and you will become an insider. I want you guys to picture with me Jesus saying this adage that one, there's one door and there's only one door. Yet there are two sides. I'm on the inside. Which side are you on? Let's stand to our feet.
Yeah, to believe in you, Father, and what you did, Jesus, for us. Nothing better. We are so thankful for your sacrifice, for your gift of eternal life. We are so thankful for your ways. God, we're thankful for your word. We pray that we would get it right. We'd be able to give it right to other people. I pray that you'd help us, help me to be teachable, to be faithful, to be available to whatever you want, whatever you have. You're definitely worthy, God. We know the world like they did with you. We're going to have a hard time with the way we choose to live, the things we may have to say. We pray that you give us wisdom in those things as we walk with you, as we preach the gospel. Father, keep us in that sweet spot where we can keep growing. Help us, Father, to keep seeking you well. I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters of mine. Lord, the hope that we share together in you, the family that you've given to us, God, and how big that family is. It's going to be so cool sitting at your table one day and seeing all the brothers and sisters that we have. It's going to blow our mind. Father, it's going to be so good to finally all be together with you. That's why we look forward to that trump sounding and for those three great little words that we all look forward to hearing. Come up here. Can't wait to be with you, Jesus. But until then, Lord, Father, help us. We need you. Help us to repent quickly. Father, to have ears to hear. And help us to do just what you're asking us to do. Nothing more, nothing less, God. We know that in your plans, in your will, Father, it's a sweet spot to be. We thank you for that peace that you give to us, Father. Just thankful for you being good. Amen.